0: and, the, and at the sound, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own language, native language? Look at verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So the tongues are these, these known human languages, not known to the speaker, but known to to some of the hearers. Verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. Not just, not just Jews. Now up to this point God has worked in and primarily through the, the Jewish the, the nation of Israel. Now his work's going to all the nations as the Lord has said it would from the beginning. And every people group of every nation on earth should know and worship Jesus. That's what he's saying. And it goes on, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dream dreams. Now, Peter then goes on to to preach a sermon, and he's proclaiming who Jesus is and what he's accomplished through his sufferings. And at the end, people call out, what what should we do then? What do we do? Peter says, repent, receive Jesus as, as this Gift of salvation and be baptized as, as a sign of that. And that's exactly what people do. Many do just that. Verse 41 And those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 new believers. So from a small little band of followers, the, the apostles and, and a few others, to now this crowd of 3,000. And then verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. May the Lord bless his word and us through it this morning. I've often heard it said, uh, speaking of this time and this this age, that this is an age of of non-commitment. I'm not going to speak to a generation, I'm going to speak to a time. Uh, but people, are, people are, aren't committed like they once were. They're not, they're not devoted. There's no devotion. There's no commitment to anything. And I, I thought, is, is that really true? A, a guy who can't hold down a job, who, who shows up late, who leaves early, whose attitude um, just about work really stinks. He takes days off even when he has no reason to. You may look at that guy and say, he's got a commitment problem. He, he, he's, he's not devoted. I would say that's not really true he's not he's just not committed to his job there's there's something else that he's committed to he's he's committed it may be a noble thing or it may be something just committed to his personal comforts committed to staying up till three a.m every night uh, playing call of duty or something i don't know but he, he's committed to something and so we're committed to the things that matter to us we are that's just natural to us he's these first believers—they're committed to. They're they're devoted. They're devoted themselves to. They gave themselves to completely, whole whole soul, whole body to these priorities. These, these priorities gave definition to their lives. That's what we see in verse forty-two. Why? Because they're just some dutiful uh, rule followers. Here's the list of things you must do, and we're going to do them whether we like or not. no. It's because. There was something that really, really mattered to them. Something that that occupied the entire horizon of their thoughts and their and their affections and their desires and their hopes. And the response was then this whole personed, single minded commitment, devotion. And this is this is what we see the the early church. The early church was this. Movement that was gathered around a mission. It's a movement gathered around a mission. The mission came first. The mission was given in Acts chapter 1. The church isn't birthed until Acts chapter 2. And so we could say it this way: that God doesn't, God doesn't so much have a mission for his church as he has a church for his mission. The mission drives everything, and I don't mean our self-determined mission, like this is what I think I should be doing. But that which is given to us by Christ. We can, we can play with words about mission statements, and we have a mission statement as a church. It's to we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Christ at home at home and abroad. That, but that is that isn't ours to create. We're just, we're just saying and expressing the the in in summary form what what the mission that Christ has given us, the mandate He's given us. And that never changes our aim in making any plans or setting goals or strategizing isn't to be novel or innovative. It's simply to stay aligned with that that mission that the Lord has given us and and keep pointed in that direction always. That's what what this is about. And so in Acts 1 to 2, we don't have time to summarize all. I'm going to make just a couple statements. But you see these, these three threads, these three kind of maybe fuel streams that propelled this early movement of the church and should propel us as well one as i've already said it's being gripped by this mandate of god this mission to make disciples to be his witnesses and and and, and throughout the world secondly the second fuel source it's it's they're so captured by the message of the gospel they're captured by this message. The good news of Christ, it, it ran through, it pulsated through their veins and, and gave life to them. And then third, it's, it's being empowered by and yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. So Christ gave them their charge to be witnesses, to make disciples. And then he says what? Wait. Wait on the Spirit. You don't have what, you, what it takes. You don't have what you need yet to go. And so they couldn't possibly do what the Lord called them to do until the Spirit came and worked. And so there was this conscious sense of dependence upon the Spirit. And, and, and I pray that we would feel that, brothers and sisters, that we would be a Spirit-dependent, Spirit-filled church. I don't mean anything crazy by that. I just mean living and moving and walking in the Spirit, as we're going to talk about in Sunday school, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And so, just a, a couple comments before we walk through this, this verse. Verse 42 is primarily where we're going to focus. But just about how Acts, and in particular Acts 2, should be understood. How it should be and how maybe it shouldn't be used. First thing I would just say, Acts is generally descriptive, not prescriptive. Uh, so it's describing what took place in those early days of the church. Not, it's not to say that we shouldn't see any implicit... Um, prescriptions here but that's not primarily what it is second acts 2 in particular and what follows it's only part of the story it's it's only the beginning this is the church in its infancy the church needed to grow it needed to it needed to mature and they did I mean as we see in, in these early in acts one and two here they they're gathering together daily every day they're gathering that's not going to continue indefinitely Later, we're going to see that they started gathering weekly on on the first day of the week, on Sundays, like we are today. In the beginning, the church is almost totally dependent upon the apostles. They're doing everything, basically. Later, we see elders and deacons, and we see just a um, spirit-gifted people that have gifts from the spirit and 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 a body that's working and functioning together and complementing one another. But at the beginning, it's just the apostles Here we read of saints selling all of their possessions and laying those proceeds at the feet of the apostles. Later we're going to see people setting aside money on the first day of the week and giving for the Lord's work. Here it's basically just a Jewish church. Later the mission's going to extend to the Gentiles. And, and, and at this time, the saints in Jerusalem, they don't even yet grasp the fact that the church is, made, is to be made up of Jewish and Gentile saints who are, who are now one new man. But that's going to become clear. So so the last thing i say is that the church then in Acts 2, it's not, it's not perfect. It's not pristine. I know sometimes we, we want to go back to that. We want to go back to this perfect church. And it's not what it is. Well, you wouldn't want to go back here. No, no. But, but they are pursuing the right things. In its infancy, in their infancy. And so, this is what I want to see. As, as we're a church gripped by the, the mandate, the mission of God, and, and captured by the gospel of God, and, and, and led by and yielded to the spirit of God, these are some things that we will see together. The first one is this, is we'll be devoted to going deeper and deeper and deeper into the apostolic gospel. It says, they, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what's the apostles' teaching? What were they teaching in those earliest days? Were they teaching through Romans and, and, the, and the gospel accounts and, and Acts? No, these weren't even written yet. So it's not that. There's one primary topic that Luke highlights in these early chapters of, of Acts and in terms of their teaching, and it's this. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. I think that's what he has in mind. Keep in mind the the apostles; they have a great deal uh, that they have yet to grasp. Even it's not until Acts ten and eleven that, that 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 Peter finally understands that that God has kind of set aside the the old Jewish food laws. They didn't get yet that the church again was made up of Jewish and Gentile believers into this one new man. They the issue of circumcision and law keeping for Gentiles it, it's not a, it's not dealt with until Acts chapter fifteen, and so so there are many points of theology and many matters of practice in the church from the christian life that that are going to be defined and refined in decades and years and and even uh, centuries to come so it's not that they had had all of those bases covered but what the apostles couldn't stop talking about what drove them what 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 again pulsated through their veins was the good news of jesus christ what are they doing they're They're laboring to explain the Old Testament scriptures and uh, and to see them in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. They're they're recounting the life and the ministry and the teaching and the the sufferings and the death and the resurrection, the ascension, and the hope of the return of Jesus Christ. It's the same stuff Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2. It's the gospel gospel. I mean, the apostles' teaching, it will eventually be written down and what we have is our New Testament and, and it's, it's passed on to us and as the Spirit inspired these words that we have the blessing of, of having in our copies of the Scriptures. And what do we find in all of those New Testament epistles? What do, what do, we, what do we see? What are they writing? What's recorded for us? Well, the first... Part of these parts of these books, it's the gospel just being rehearsed and being explained and the, and the benefits of Christ's saving work being elaborated and, and, and different ones being emphasized. And then the apostles in those letters, they show the implications of that gospel in all of life, in our relationships, in our attitudes, in our words, in our behavior, and on and on and on. So the this is what we see, though. That the message of the gospel, it's so tied to the mission of the church that we shouldn't be surprised that right away they're devoting themselves to constantly rehearsing it and constantly going deeper and deeper into it. The apostles' teaching, the apostolic gospel, it is, it is a message that we must devote ourselves to. It is, what it is it? It's what is it? It's a word. It is a message, it's, it's not an idea, it's not a concept, it's not some abstract way of life. It is, it is a word. Christianity is a word-based religion. This, this book, these words, they, they really matter because they're really inspired by God and they really have authority and they really have power to change us and, 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 and they really are sufficient. And so we can't overemphasize the importance of sound biblical teaching and preaching. This is the starting point of everything we do, of every aspect of the church and every aspect of the Christian life. Um, as, as we gathered in the Shawbrook's basement uh, this fall and, and prayed and talked about where things are at, this is one of the things that we kept coming back to, the authority and the sufficiency of the word, the, the way those are being challenged today and, 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 and the need for us to, to, to not stray from that, to constantly to stay put here, to stay here. And the other thing is this, this tendency we have to, to sort of assume the gospel, to assume that we got it and, 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 and we can begin to focus on peripheral matters. That's always there, but we have to resist this. We have to, we have to remain devoted to, single-mindedly committed to this, this apostolic gospel to continue and go deeper and deeper in it. So the second thing, as we're, as we're gripped by God's mandate, as we're captured by His message, as we yield it to His spirit, we, we will be devoted to sharing life together. We will. Of course we will. Fellowship together It's not going to be some duty that we just kind of, is to be grudgingly obeyed, like, yeah, i got to, got to do this. No, it's, it's going to be something that just comes because of the delight and honestly the desperation that that we need one another because this mission is is so is so big in the horizon of our minds. We can't do this alone. We we are dependent upon one another. Just any any enormous task that we ever uh, are involved in. what's what the first thing we do? We we link arms with those who share with us in this. And so we we're coming together. And this is what happens. This is what the early church. They they devoted themselves to. The fellowship, that, that Greek word, koinonia, many of you are, are, know that word. It's the idea of, of commonness, sharing. I mean this is this is a, this kind of fellowship, it doesn't exist until the Holy Spirit is sent at Pentecost. It couldn't have. I mean, it's only through our identity with the Spirit that that we can have this, this kind of fellowship and, and and this kind of sharing. Every time the New Testament uses this word, it it, it denotes some kind of sharing. Oftentimes, it's sharing in in material ways, and so sharing uh, with someone, uh, so offerings and collections and contributions, and so that kind of sharing. Other the other ways it's used is sharing in an experience with someone, so sharing in sufferings, sharing in joy, those kinds of uh, expressions we find throughout the New Testament. So, but I just say the foundation of early Christian fellowship. It's not. It, it's not. Uh, coffee and goldfish crackers you know in the fellowship hall Those remember those days um, maybe they'll be back sometime but it, it was this life this, these lives together devoted to giving and receiving and sharing together that's what they're devoting themselves to it's amplified in verses 44 and 45 look down there with me and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to anyone, to all as any had need. Now that's, again, this is where we say, it's not, it's not prescriptive here that, that selling all of one's possessions was not a command for all saints at, at all times, it, but that it was a practice of many in the early church. And and while it's not something that's necessary for everyone and wasn't even then, there were still people who owned houses. We can we clear their meeting in houses that are owned by people and they have property. That's not it, But but it wasn't, it wasn't foolish. They're not being, I know there are people, there. Are, I've even read commentators who say they're being careless. This was, this was not wise. And I say, no, that's not it. This is just evidence of God's gracious working in their lives. They're relinquishing these things. Because they're so devoted to the fellowship. The, the big point is, is fellowship in the, in, the, in the church, it rests on mutual generosity and sharing. It's not just um, it's not just kind of sentimental oneness, good feelings where we where we have towards one another. Fellowship uh, it is it is it is giving and receiving, material goods, prayers, sharing life together, sharing in in the ups and downs together. That's that's what we're talking about. It's as we learn to share generously with one another and to be humbly dependent upon one another that we can know the, the true joys of Christian fellowship. And so, I'll just say, by way of application, our commitment, our commitment to one another should involve more than just simply Sunday morning attendance. It should involve that, but it should be more than that. And if we're to enjoy this kind of fellowship that God intends. Are we quick to give? Are we quick to, to share resources? Are we quick to ask for help, to receive help, to live dependently on the body, to, to live shared lives? How, how open are our hearts towards others, towards those in need, towards those who are different from us in the church? How open are our wallets and our schedules and our homes? Are we even just regularly sharing meals with believers, whether it's in a time of COVID or not? Church isn't, church isn't an event we attend, a weekly event. It's not a, a, a geographical location we go to, a building. It's not that. It is, it, it is a family. It's a family that we depend upon and that we belong to. That's the that's the New Testament picture of 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 church, of the fellowship. This is what they're devoting themselves to. Again, as we've been praying together as as pastors and and talking about these things. Uh, there, there are enormous needs in, uh, right in our church body and, and many of these have just been exacerbated uh, during this, this time of COVID are, are you looking for needs and doing what you can to meet them physical needs relational needs I, I, I've heard the, the wonderful reports of some small groups and going caroling to some of the folks that are shut in and what a blessing that was been and the joy and the tears of, of joy just seeing people Faces, emotional needs, spiritual needs. The, uh, 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 this, is, this, is what, this is what it means to be devoted to the fellowship. And again, it's not, it's not like some compulsory, okay, that's just something I got to do. It's the more we understand this mission of the, 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 the disciple making mandate, is so big in our lives, and, and the more precious the gospel is to us, and the more we understand how active the Holy Spirit is, and how, necess- how dependent we are upon Him, this is going to be something that just overflows in our lives, we're going to be devoted to, to the fellowship. We also talked about the, just the, the need for this in, in our context, in our national and cultural context, the divisiveness in the the wider culture and in the church. It threatens this kind of fellowship. And so we 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 gotta be on guard. we got to pray. We gotta we gotta keep this before us. There's distrust and there's bitterness and there's there's suspicion that that is so dominant right now. And so we need we need devotion to fellowship. Devotion to one another, devotion to share life. It can't be just a passive segment of our life. You no, know, this has got to be a single-minded, whole-person commitment that we have together. We're devoted to one another. Third, as we're gripped by God's mandate, as we as we're captured by His gospel, as we're filled with His Spirit, we're going to be devoted to breaking bread together in worship. And that you see that they devoted themselves to the breaking a bread. Now, what's breaking a bread in this context? Is it just a, just any old meal together, a backyard cookout? Uh, is it communion? I think, and I, we're going to sus- make my comments succinct here, but I think this re- refers to the observance of the Lord's table primarily, and for a couple reasons. One, it, becomes, it comes between these two religiously loaded words in verse 42, between fellowship and the prayers. We'll talk about the prayers in a moment. Secondly, because of that little definite article, the is connected to breaking of bread. It's not just general breaking of bread. So there, there were, it seems there were these two distinct kind of um, meals within the, within the normal Christian gatherings of the early church. And so they, they, would, they would have a fellowship meal together, sometimes called it agape feast, a love feast. And then they would take the remaining bread and wine and, and engage in the celebration and remembrance of Christ's death and resurrection. So they, so they devoted themselves to this, to the breaking of bread, to the Lord's table, this most basic aspect of, of, of the church's corporate worship. In verse 46, we see this amplified. They're, they're still going to the temple. I think that's what's implied in worshiping. and worshiping. And then they're going from the temple to have this distinctively Christian worship time in homes. There was no church building like this, so they're meeting in homes, and they're breaking bread together. It was, it was so important to them. And again, as we, as we understand the, the, the magnitude of the mission and as our lives are shaped by that and as we're so enthralled with the gospel and as that, as those vein, that, 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 that truth of Christ's death and resurrection pulsates through our veins, of course we're going to be saying we've got to be coming back and back and back and back to this. to This truth, remembering Christ together, keeping it at the center, not the peripheral of church life regularly remember christ together since since we generally uh observe the lord's table uh, just once a month sometimes we'll do it more often but this is why it's so important to make it a priority to be out here on those sundays it's not just eh, take it early no this is so important church family our rsvp list ought to fill up immediately when we have lord's table together that's next sunday so get ready eric um we'll squeeze in as many as we can and we'll do accommodate those in overflow but this is, this is critical for our church family we've been talking about this as, again as pastors and the importance of our Lord's Day gatherings and again in a year like this when we've been scattered around and when we shut it down for weeks on end and, and, and this unprecedented time in the history of the church uh, we, this, the importance of this gathering we see it more than ever Pray, pray for those that, that are, are unable to be with us or, or those that are choosing just not to be with us. Um, let's, let's pray, not, not in spite or judgment, but the pray for God's spirit to, to understand and, uh, and, and open their eyes to see the value of this. And, and those that can't, I know our hearts are with you and we ache with you and we, we want to support you and care and we hope that these live streams minister to you. But you know as well as we do, if there's no substitute for, for the, these gatherings. Fourth, as we're gripped by this mandate, as we're captured by this this gospel message, as we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit, we're going to be devoted to keeping our prayer reflexes very strong. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. See it in chapter 1, right away, verse 14, the the upper room group there, they were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 6 verse 4 the 12 are told to they, they tell the church to select men to, to make sure that no one's passed over in the serving of tables and why is that because they're gonna, they need to devote themselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word I mean, you go throughout the epistles and we see this over and over Romans 12 12 be constant in prayer Colossians 4 two continue steadfastly in prayer and we could go on and on with other examples of this and so here it's plural They devoted themselves to the prayers. I hope your translation picks that up. That's that's important. These are specific times when they prayed together. We could say prayer meetings. Prayer should be woven into the fabric of everything we do as as a church. We pray. We gather and we, we call to God whenever and wherever the church meets, we pray we must be devoted to prayers of church, depending upon the Lord, seeking His face, asking for His guidance and help and wisdom. Now more than ever, brothers and sisters, asking for His hand to be upon us, asking Him to do what we cannot do on our own, asking Him for wisdom that we don't have, asking Him for strength that we lack. We need Him. Not, not, and not just alone, but we, we do this together, we come together and we call out to God together. I mean, these early believers, they they seem to feel very intimately, they're, they're, there's this sense of utter dependence upon the Lord. They can't see anything good without Him working. And so they pray all the time. Someone gets in trouble, what do they do? They pray. They have a need, they pray. They're scared, they pray. They have a decision to make, they pray. I mean, again, we, we've been meeting and praying for our church praying desperately for the lord to work as 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 pastors discussing ways to mobilize our church to pray together prayer meetings for us to be together and call out to the lord together we'll talk more about that eric's going to preach on this next sunday prayer in, in the book of acts and he'll expand on this and so quickly just the last point is this is as as we're gripped by This mandate, as we're captured by this message of the gospel, as we're yielded to the spirit, we're going to be devoted to pressing on in Christ's mission together. Pressing on in Christ's mission together. Verse 47, look down to the end. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this is more of an implicit point than an explicit one here. The text doesn't say that they're going out and doing evangelism or anything like that, but we know that the way God reaches people is through the gospel's proclamation and, and so as these people believe, they're born again, they, they've received the Spirit, they start speaking about Jesus. I think, that's, I think that's what we see. If the Lord's saving people day by day, if, as verse 47 shows, it's, it must be as they're just actively bearing witness to Christ in the community with neighbors and with shopkeepers and with friends and family members, and they're just going out and they're talking about Christ. I mean, again, as, this, as our lives are so compelled by this mission, as we see the, the, the thing that matters most and the thing that gives most definition to my life is not, is not uh, just some bucket list that I have or some things that I want to do with my life or some, some level of status I want to attain. No, it's this great commission. That's why the Lord has us here. And as we're shaped by that, then of course, we're going to start talking about Christ. We're going to live very outward-facing lives. And again, we've been talking about this and the need for this, particularly in the in a time like this. This is, this year has been one in which it's been so easy to turn in on ourselves. And, and to be so become ingrown even as a church. Just trying to trying to survive and just kind of self self-focus, self-preservation, fighting for toilet paper at Costco and all and all that, that represents. It's, it's just about us and, and so we, we need to we, we we always are needing to turn more outward facing our community, open to the community, moving forward towards others in love. This is, this, is, this is our prayer for us as, as a church this coming here. Well, listen, what I don't want, as we walk through this, these, this verse here in, in Sermon 2, um, this text has often been used by many, and, and including myself, honestly, to kind of just describe the essential functions of the church and sort of use it as a checklist. Here, here's the five things or four or five things you need to do. Just do them. And, and if we're doing these things, then we'll feel that we're being obedient. Or, or worse yet, we may even be proud as a church that we're so biblical if we're doing these things. That's, that's not how this is to be used. The early church wasn't just a group of people that were doing the right thing. As you read through Acts, there's there's more than just activity. There, there's this—I don't know if this is the right word—but an, an ethos you pick up on here. There, there there's this there's evidence of the Spirit's mighty working among them, that the hand of the Lord is upon them. You 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 again—it's just been eye-opening to read through these verses and see all the evidences of this that Luke's just pointing to, and just seeing the Lord's hand. This is this is not just duties that are being observed, checklists for these early believers. This is simply the overflow of lives, again, that are, as I've said multiple times this morning, just so, so held and, and, and controlled by this mission, this mandate of God. They're so enthralled with the gospel message. They're so, so dependent upon and filled with the Holy Spirit that this is just what happens. I'm not saying there was no volition, there was no effort, and And these things, but this is this is what it is, and so it has this 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 ethos that we pick up on. Let me just draw a couple comments, and I'm not trying to preach my third sermon here, but just a few things that, just as I noted as I was I was just reading through again these early chapters in particular of Acts, just a few things that really stand out that are a little more uh, intangible. um, uh, Not just this; these are not just activities, but one is just togetherness. These new believers are like newlyweds. Just can't, they can't be separated. They're, they're just together. They, 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 they couldn't be apart from one another. So, all of these activities, teaching and fellowship, prayer, uh, breaking bread, they're all corporate activities or what they did together. That competitive, me first attitude that we saw in the disciples and the gospels, it just seems to have evaporated. There's just this unity, this not just a human affection, but genuine love. Second, there's this sense of awe. Awe. Now it's inspired no doubt by in some degree by those evidences of God's power and presence through the signs and wonders that were the apostles were performing, people being healed instantly of diseases. And so, yes. They, they, but what, what you see is they knew the Lord was powerfully at work and was with them. He was present and he was active through the Spirit. Now, uh, while tongues of fire aren't appearing on new believers uh, now and the apostles aren't present and healing on demand like they were then, does that mean God's not powerful and present today? <laughs> of course not. I mean, Jesus' commission, it ends with these words, He says, Go and to all the nations, make disciples, baptizing, teaching. And what does he say? And behold, behold, see, get this, I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. So Christ is present with us through his Holy Spirit, and he is is unhindered. He He is free to work miraculously and powerfully as ever. He is. And, he, and even his more common ways of working are really spectacular when you think about them. Forgiveness, when we forgive someone who's really hurt us and wronged us, love, unity, in the face of so much division, reconciliation, all oh, the fruit of the spirit that we're going to talk about this morning—just kindness—it's his. It's his powerful. These are these not miraculous evidences of God's spirit in us. He is present. Let's pl- let's pray for a greater sense of awe, a greater sense of awareness, that materialistic impulse that we have, and we're so shaped by our culture, more than we realize, to just think of this as all that there is. The stuff we can this is this does exist. I'm sorry. But I'm thinking touch and feel that, that we're so shaped by that. But there is God is with us, brothers and sisters. I pray for a greater sense of awe, a greater sense of awareness of that. Third, there's joy. There's joy. I mean, there's this constant mood of celebration and all that they do as an early church and a and, and sense of joyful celebration and it pleases and glorifies God. I don't mean that everything was just going great. No, they're being persecuted. They're walking through incredible hardships. They're facing extreme poverty. There's a reason they're selling their belongings and giving to those because they're in need, enormous need. And and so it's not that this just kind of trite, silly happiness. No, it's that it's that Paul singing in prison. Peter sleeping in prison. Both of those reflect his joy and contentment in, in the Lord and, and in his providence. It's joy. Joy in the face of suffering. And then and then forth, there's generosity. I just this just characterizes these. Early chapters, they 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 have glad. The text says glad and generous hearts. They 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 are joyful. The word glad just means satisfied. They they gave their money away. They're happy about it because they found something better than money. And that's the opposite of where we are, isn't it? As a culture, in particular, I read something this week. I think I think it was that Germans on average save ten percent a year. Americans save negative 0.5% a year. We're reverse saving. We're, we're not just not saving, we're actually going more and more into debt. Now, that's not about giving per se, but I think that's an indicator of how many think about money in our context. One of the evidences of the gospel taking root, it's a glad and generous heart. Now, I'm thankful to God for you. I'm not, this, this is, this is uh, I've been studying praying with much gratitude for so many evidences of the Lord's gracious work in this church body and this is one of them if, if this year in particular in a year of the, we didn't know how this was going to shape out in terms of just the Lord providing for just basic expenses here our expenses have been met month and month in and month out through your generous giving and that, I know that's the Lord's provision but he's done that through your generosity and we thank God for that so, but this is what we see right away in the early church. So we, desperately, so we desperately need to be a church on whom the Lord's hand of blessing rests. That's what we want to see. And if we're going to do that, we have to be aligned to Christ's mission for his church. Keep pressing onward in this, forward, faithful to this task until Christ returns. And, then tr- as, and as we do, we trust him for the fruit. I, I, just, I, I thought as we close here, and we're going to sing... And, and then we'll take a break. Just if maybe you take a, a minute and and pray and ask the Lord um, to just help you think, what what are some ways maybe this coming year you can be more meaningfully engaged in God's mission? Um, how can your life be more aligned with this? Are, are there ways that you can more consistently live to glorify God by making disciples of Christ at home and abroad? Can we And ways we can do that together. So maybe it's something similar. Some, I'm just going to get to know my... I'm going to get to know a couple of my neighbors this year and really connect with them. I'm going to get involved in a small group this year. We're going to do that as a family, and we're going to make that a priority. Or maybe we're going to open our home to host one. Where I'm going to take the ministry of prayer for the flock to another level and and, and, and really pray for our community, for our missionaries, for our church family. I'm going to consider ways of the the possibility of serving cross-culturally being sent out as a missionary from the church and I'm going to start talking to people about that maybe talk to the missions team I'm going to look for ministries in the church that I can get involved in in formal ways like audiovisual or children's ministry, nursery, youth ministry or informal ways, visiting people and, and helping with meals and those kinds of things so just financial secretary we've, that's a need we have right now so just take a minute pray about that, jot something down I don't, we don't have anything for you to fill out or anything like that just for yourself, make it a matter of prayer in particular this week. And 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 other ways that the Lord is is leading you to, to be more meaningfully engaged in this way.